Welcome to Willard Church of the Nazarene. We're glad you're here. We can't wait to share the service with you.
are going to be in 2 Timothy 3, 2 Peter 3, Jude 1, 1 Timothy 4, 1 John 2. We're going to be skipping around. I normally am an, uh, a preacher that likes to have one passage and just go through that one passage, but for this one, we need to skip around um, and look at some different things. But I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, Gregory Treverton, but he was a chair of the U.S. National Intelligence Council, and he was talking about the difference between traditional warfare and this war on terror that we still seem to find ourselves in. He said it's kind of like the difference between a puzzle and a mystery. When you solve a puzzle, what do you do? You look for the edge pieces, don't you? You put those all together, and then you start building from there. Every piece has its own particular place, only one place that it will fit, right? And there's hopefully just enough pieces to complete that exact puzzle. Everything's kind of structured. With a mystery, though, instead of pieces, you have a bunch of clues. And you honestly don't know if those clues will line up, right? You don't know if you'll have enough clues or, or too many clues. A lot of times there's no boundaries to kind of hem everything in. And uh, um, the problem with the mystery is it's not really not enough clues, but almost too much information. And you don't know if that's a real clue that you can apply to that situation or if it's just kind of a coincidence and it should be discarded. You've probably seen this in life, right? Uh, An area would be the stock market. I don't know if anybody ever follows that, but it seems like my Facebook page is just littered with people who have seemed to supposedly figured out the stock market and they have these systems and they're treating it like a puzzle. If I just do this right and do this, you know, I'll be guaranteed to make a lot of money. Uh, If you treat the stock market like a puzzle, though, you're going to find out it's really more like a, a mystery. There's clues to how it works, but nothing's guaranteed. Leadership is like a mystery. Sometimes you approach leadership like a puzzle, like if you just find this perfect piece and put that perfect piece in there, then everything will work out. And sometimes it does, but sometimes it doesn't. That's not how leadership works. Sometimes leadership is a mystery, and sometimes people surprise you in good ways and in bad ways. I was driving a, my neighbor's kid who seems to miss the bus a lot to Actually, I was driving him to his mom's house in Republic, and so we had some time, and I was asking him how things were going. He has this, uh, I've learned, on and off relationship with his girlfriend. He's 14 years old. And so I asked him how things were going with her, and he goes, uh, I, I really just don't understand her. That's what he said. And I said, that's because women are mystery right? And that's true. You just won't get them, my friend. You'll think you're putting the pieces together, right? You think you got all the pieces in the right place, the clues that she's leaving you, but you'll realize soon that it's just a a mystery. And he turns to me and he says, is your wife a mystery? I said, yes, she is. She is a, she is quite the mystery. Last week we talked about, is Jesus coming back soon? And I said, maybe, right? But the when and the how is not the important thing to focus in on, right? Instead, the most important thing for us to focus in on or to question is, am I ready? Am I watching? 
Am I prepared, right? Today, I want to look at the signs that point to Jesus' return that were given, but I want us to treat this more like a mystery than a puzzle. Look at it that way. Jesus tells us that we can't know the exact hour. The pieces aren't going to all fit, right? There's going to be pieces missing or maybe too many pieces, but we know, but we can know the season, right? For his return. Even in this, there's a twist because if we look at all the signs and what they point to and focus in on that, we can kind of do this wrong. And, and today is really important because a lot of people, when they read scripture, they give it the wrong primary focus. They do it wrong. And I pray today that it's kind of like a light bulb that goes on for a lot of us in our heads and how we look at Scripture. Um, today, we're going to go through these verses, and we're going to be tempted to say, wow, that's a, that's a messed up world we live in. But if we do that, we're going to have the wrong focus. All right? This will make more sense as, as we kind of go through it. If you would, turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy 3. Today, I want us to be reminded that, yes, Jesus is coming soon. Yes, we need to be ready. Uh, but how should we be ready? What do we need to be looking at? How should we be living in these last days? First, first sign that we're going to look at comes from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Terrible times times. The, the word for terrible in the original language is used in one other place in the New Testament. It's used in Matthew chapter 8 where Jesus encounters two uh, men who are possessed by demons. In describing those men, it uses the same word, but it translates it as violent. Both of these interpretations could really speak to where we're at really illustrate the atmosphere of our world, right? We, we see terrible, violent things going around us, on around us, all over. Verse 2 goes on. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. And we'll just stop right there. It kind of goes on more. But first clue that I want us to be focused in on is that people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of our money, of money. In our country, we know where the federal debt level has gone. It's reaching every year record levels, right? One of my kids came home and they must have been talking about it. I think they found the debt clock that actually shows how much in debt and how much it's growing. And, and they were surprised by it. I told them, I remember when our national debt was in the millions, maybe some of you before that. Uh, I remember when it reached a billion and I was like, oh my goodness. And now we're in the trillions. It's, it's crazy. American consumer credit is at a all new high, right? The savings rate is the lowest it's ever been. And we, think, we see things happening like sports gambling coming all over to every state. It'll be here soon. You have the Powerball hitting a billion dollars, right? It's happened a, a few times. I read an article, and it said that one in three people are playing it. One in three people in America are playing the Powerball. Get this, right? This, is, this blew my mind. The article said that 55% of the people said that if they won it, they would tell their spouse. 45% of people, if they won the Powerball, would not tell their spouse? People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, right? 
Three quarters would not share their winnings with anybody, 75%, all right? And only 7% would donate money to charity. You won a billion dollars and you can't donate any of it to charity? 93% wouldn't donate it to charity. People would be lovers of themselves and lovers of money, right? This is the context of what's going around in our world today when we read this passage. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. And we say, check that sign, right? That's where we're at. People are horrible. And if we do that, and that's our focus, we miss reading this how we should, right? If we're looking outward, we're missing the primary point. When we read the Bible, when you read the Bible, you have to use it as a mirror to see how are you doing with these areas, right? Because it's easy to focus in on everybody else. It's easy to know that one person that's around you who you know is a lover of themselves and a lover of money, right? But what about you? What about me? How am I doing with that, right? If I won that Powerball, I know my first thoughts are not going to be about charity and about giving money away. I'm going to be thinking about all the things that I could buy with that. I'm going to daydream about that. It's going to consume me, right? Uh, new truck, I would be able to afford a new truck. Probably going to get a new home. I'll keep it modest, right? I'll, I'll tell my wife about it if we hit it. Maybe a barn dominium out of me. That'd be really great, right? Yeah. You know, when I drop the kids off and I'm picking them up at school, man, there are some nice vehicles. There's somebody in my work parking lot that has a nice Tahoe. I don't know if that's John or Jason, but man, that thing's nice, right? I, I could see myself, I could see Adivy in that nice Tahoe. She'd look good in it. Uh, sometimes I'm in the Charger and it's old and I'm a little bit embarrassed. Sometimes I'm worried that it's going to stall or, or break down right there in line and everything like that. And I'm thinking, man, a Corvette would be nice, right? <laughs> Did you see what I'm doing though? I'm, I'm not being grateful for what I do have. I'm not being grateful for what God's blessed me with. I'm just dreaming and focusing in on what I don't have. I'm just dreaming and focusing in on what other people have, Right? We can daydream all day about the stuff we don't have. We can pretend that we would be, do a good job and we would donate to charity and we would be good stewards of that billion dollars if we wanted. I know it'd only be like 500 million, right, after taxes. But here's the thing. Would we? Would we really? Right? The Bible tells us that if we're not faithful with the small, we won't be faithful with the big. Right? Luke 16, 10. 1 Timothy 3, verse 1 is holding up a mirror to say, hey, are you a lover of yourself? Are you a lover of money? Are you struggling with envy? I struggle with that. Of what others have around you? Are you holding on tight to your money? Or are you giving it away sacrificially and joyfully? Are you there? To that point, or are you struggling maybe with a little bit? Are you generously given to the church? Have you made any changes since that sermon on giving, on sacrificial giving that we had a couple weeks ago? Or 
Have you done a whole lot of Bible study to rationalize why anything in the Bible that talks about giving away 10% isn't really where it's at or it doesn't apply to you? Or are you rationalizing why you aren't robbing God with your tithes and offerings? In the last days, people would love themselves and love money. How are you doing with that? Because I know I'm not there. I'm not doing the best with that, right? Second sign, 2 Peter 3.3 3 says this, Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come mocking the truth and following their own evil, their own desires. What's the truth? Well, Jesus says, Father, your word is the truth, right? So here's the second sign. In the last days, people will mock God's word. Does that sound like our world today? We'd all say, yeah, right? There's a, there was a day in our country where kids were required to bring the Bible, their Bibles to school because that's what they were taught out of, right? And now, today, I just read about two schools, districts, one in Utah, one in Texas, who have banned the Bible from being brought to school. They've had it physically removed from their libraries because it's too explicit, Facebook, YouTube, not too long ago, I saw this church, they blocked their service for being too violent. The service was doing the crucifixion. Can't be on YouTube. You don't have to look hard to see people mocking God's word. You don't have to look hard to see people scoffing at our beliefs today, right? What, you believe that there are only two genders? You believe that a man can't be a woman and have a baby? A world scoffs and mocks the truth. They scoff and mock God's word. But, my friends, if that's your first thought when you're reading this passage, if that's the primary thought when you're reading this passage, you're not looking in the mirror as you should be, right? You see, it's one thing for non-believers to mock the Bible. They don't believe it's the word of God, right? But what about us? We believe this is the Word of God, so surely we're building our life on it, right? Surely we're reading it every day. If it's the Word of God, we would be reading it probably more than every day, right? Are we? Are you? Am I? Do you study it? Who's making the big, bigger mockery of God's Word? The non-believer who doesn't believe it's God's word and so mocks it, or the believer who says they believe it's God's word but doesn't follow it, doesn't make it their foundation, doesn't align their life around it, right? When we read that thing about forgiving other people, it doesn't apply to me, right? I'm not ready yet to do that. Who's mocking it? Is it them or is it us? So a few mere questions. Do you get in God's word regularly? Is it important enough to memorize? Because surely if it's the word of God, you're going to memorize it, right? Did you memorize it when we did the branch life, John 15, 5? Or is it not that important? Are you reading it? Are you using it as a mirror to see where I'm off, where my truths don't align with it's truths, and then I align my life with it? Or are there things in the Bible that we read and we're just like, eh, 
I don't know if I believe that. I don't know if I have to live my life around that, right? In the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth. Does your life show that your formation, your foundation is built on the Word of God and you're living according to it, period? Or are there exceptions? Or are there things that you're rationalizing, right? Does your life show that you're scoffing at it or that you're living according to it? Which is it? Let's ask God to convict us, right? God, humble us. God, let my life line up with your word, no matter what that means. That has to be our prayer for it, right? God, God, change me from the inside out. Change my heart so that I want to be in this, so that I have a desire to read this, so I have a desire to apply my life to it, right? Let's be the kind of people that are devoted to God's word. Third sign, Jude 1, 18 through 19. They told you in the last times there would be scoffers whose purpose in life is to satisfy their ungodly desires. These people are the ones who are creating divisions among you. They follow their natural instincts because they do not have God's spirit in them. Now, we already ran about scoffers in another scripture, right? But this one goes to motives. It's to satisfy their ungodly desires. The phrase ungodly desires could be translated as lusts. So another way you could translate this is there will be people who are all about satisfying their lusts or satisfying their sexual desires, right? Today we have governments and schools pushing this. We have parades. We have months. Right? People are opening up their marriages. That's becoming very common today. You don't have to be monogamous. You know, you can open that up. People are skipping getting married altogether because monogamy isn't possible in our culture today. And sadly, we have churches joining in with it and saying uh, it's all right. In the last times, there will be scoffers whose purpose in life is to satisfy their ungodly sexual desires. If that's a sign of Jesus' return, right? That sounds like our world, right? But are we looking in the mirror? Do you have a sexual secret? Are you looking at things that you shouldn't be looking at on your phone, on your computer? Are they gateways to looking at pornography, right? Do you rationalize it? It's okay because of this? Do you find excuses to act on these things? Do you put on one face at church and then another face when you go home? Is there something that you need to confess to God? Is there something you need to confess to another person? I get why the world would do this, right? The pull of sexual temptation, that's a strong pull. It feels good. It feels like it's irresistible, right? But I also believe that Scripture is telling each and every one of us to look in the mirror. What are your lusts at? Maybe it's not even sexually related, right? What are, your, what are you lusting for? Is it power? Is it to be right? Is it fame? What are those things that pull at you? The Bible's warning us that we're going to be all about satisfying our lusts, right? Looking at those regardless of the, what the Word of God says in our lives. So, how are you doing with that? Next sign. 
First Timothy 4.1, now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last time some will turn away from the truth faith, they will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. Does that sound like our world? Right? <laughs> there are false religions. We hear about Wiccan become more and more prevalent. It's gone mainstream. Satanism, it's fully accepted today. Right? We have school groups devoted to Satanism in schools. And it's perfectly normal. I, I looked up false teachings and I saw a list of, I kid you not, 500 of them. 500 false, I'm sorry, religions. New age religions and we're, we're buying, buying into it, right? In the last time, some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. Man, if you know about Islam and how that started, that is a deceptive teaching founded by demons. But let's look in the mirror, right? This is talking about people who leave the truth faith and follow deceptive spirits. Thank you. How many of us are buying into what Christian pastors are putting out there without checking it against the Word of God, right? There used to be something a little bit long ago that's kind of going away called the prosperity gospel. You had teachers and preachers talking about this. And basically it said, if you have enough faith, you're going to get, you're going to be successful. You're going to be prosperous. You're going to have all the money that you need. You'll have all the health, right? Very big names, very big people on TV, very popular message putting out there, but it doesn't line up with the Bible. It doesn't line up with what the word of God says, right? If you just have enough faith, you're going to be well off financially. Do you remember the disciples? How many of them were living plush lives? blessed people. You'll be blessed if you follow God, right? Maybe not financially, though. Last time I checked, all, nearly all the disciples ended up getting killed for their faith. People follow these teachings, and they don't test what's being put out there with the Word of God simply because it's what they want to believe, simply because it sounds good to them, right? People twist Scripture to make it fit what they want to believe and let it, instead of letting it set the direction for what they need to believe, right? It is tempting when you have an idea and you're preaching to try and find Scripture that backs up what you believe. But if you're doing it that way, you're doing it wrong, right? We need to be in God's word, seeking out what the truth is it and aligning our lives to it. Can we pray for wisdom and discernment? When something comes to you or across your path and you hear it, and it's supposedly from a Christian pastor, if it's from this pulpit right here, right, will you check and see if it aligns with the word of God? And if it doesn't, rebuke it. Don't just automatically trust things I say. Or another pastor says, if something comes to you, things are brought to my attention, right? And my first question is, what's your scripture basis, right? When you put out a meme, when you share a meme, what is the scriptural basis behind that? 
Is it the Word of God? Can you point to in the Word of God that, that proves it, that backs it up? Be careful with the teachings that are out there, right? And check everything against that. I, I have been up here and I have said incorrect things. And that scares me. Because I never want to be passing on those things, right? But if we're all doing what we're supposed to be doing and checking against the Word of God, you're going to correct me. You're going to call me out on it right? Because you care about me. Let's be doing that. You, you might find this hard to believe, but sometimes Adivy and I fight. We disagree about stuff. I've had times, a few, where I've been wrong. <laughs> I've had times, though, where I believe I was right, and I've handled it wrongly. I've had times where I believe I was right and I was waiting for God to show her the error of her ways and I had a horrible attitude. I remember one time just recently and I remember waking up one morning and seeing the Bible on the counter and thinking I should get in that but I knew if I did I would be convicted of my attitude so I'm like nope, not today God. We need to be careful, right? Do you stay away from church on Sunday because you're doing something on Saturday and you know if you show up after you do that thing on Saturday, you know what God's going to be speaking to your heart there on Sunday? Do you stay out of the word of God because you know conviction is coming? Do you stay away from prayer? Like I knew in that moment if I started praying, God would bring up the elephant in the room, your, your bad attitude, right? Nope, not going to go there. This, our time with God, needs to be a priority, right? It needs to direct our paths. We need to be devoted to it. How are you doing? Are you ignoring what God says because you know you're wrong and you just don't want to repent, right? Do you check out the theology of podcasts? And authors, before you dive into them and get hooked, are you checking things against the Word of God? That's what we need to do. Last sign, 1 John 2, 18 through 19. Dear children, the last hour is here. Talking about the end times, right? You have heard that the Antichrist is coming, and already many such Antichrists, plural, have appeared from this we know that the last hour has come. These people left our churches, but they never really belonged with us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. When they left, it proved that they did not belong with us. So in identifying the time, the last days, right, all these antichrists, plural, what do you see about them? They're apparently going to church, and they leave right? They leave it. So in the last hour, could we say many will be leaving the church, proving that they really didn't belong? Is that our, is that our world that we live in today? When you're a church of our size, it's exciting to get new people, right? It brings an energy, and uh, the opposite side of that, it's a gut punch when they leave, especially when you know them. I take it personally. In the end, though, 
if they're going to another church that's preaching Jesus Christ, praise God, right? What I worry about, though, are the people who leave the church for no church, and they just quit going, and they seem to leave their faith, right? There's a, a movement today that's encouraging this, and it really targets young people specifically and encourages them to question their faith. Questioning your faith is not a bad thing. It can take you to a place. It can take you deeper because you look for truth, and when you look for truth and you look for God, you'll find him. That's what the Bible tells us, right? This happened to me. There was a point in time where I, I, I kind of was living on my mom's faith, and I realized, why do I believe in God? Why do I believe in this Christianity? And it caused me to search and question many things. And in that, my, my faith was strengthened through that. But if people are just encouraged to question their faith and not help to find answers to that, uh, that's what scares me. It scares me when people just leave the church and they just bail on everything. Some people will say, I love Jesus but I don't love the church, right? Think about that. The church is the bride of Christ, isn't it? If you tell me, man, I love you, James, but I hate your wife, and here's all the reasons why I hate your wife, do you think we're going to be close? You cannot love Jesus and hate the church. You can't do that. She's his bride. Let's look in the mirror, right? Do you have a, a hypercritical spirit about things going on in the church when you come here or when you go to an event? Is it like one of those NFL post-game shows where they dissect every angle and everything that was wrong and, and what ha didn't happen as it should? Is that your spirit when you look towards the church? When you encounter volunteers at church, do you take them for granted? Do you look and criticize them and think about all the ways that they could be doing that better instead of offering to help them? Do you let them know about it? Do you just complain about it to other people and someone else about it? Or do you go up and say, thank you, right? Thank you for leading this and encourage them. You buy them a coffee and bring it to them when you know they got a big event that they're planning and putting on, right? Do you go up to them and ask them, what can I do to help? Little Finley came in the office today and said, ask me if he could help put out the offering plates, right? It's our kids. Do you pray for people in here or do you just criticize them? Do you want them to succeed? Or are you just hoping they fail so that they learn a lesson? How are you treating the bride of Christ? Man, I love you, Jesus. I love your church, but I can't stand this person in it. Right? Be careful. Do you support the church? Man, I, I love this church, but I'm not going to serve. I'm not going to give. I'm not going to pray. Be careful. Have you been hurt by the church? I have, right? Probably all have. I've been hurt by some things that have been said. I've been by, hurt by some things that have been done, right? But if I truly love Jesus, I love his bride. This is mere time for me. It's really convicting me, my attitude towards this group at times. 
We bail on churches when we get hurt. People get hurt and want to go to another church, and then they just get hurt at that church, and they go to another one, and, and uh, we bail on our church families, right? Is this truly our church family? We should be for each other then. We should be helping each other. When we're hurt by somebody, we should go up and talk to them, and we should seek forgiveness when we hurt other people. We far too easily, though, just develop a spirit that criticizes everything. And God forgive us. In the last days, people will be lovers of money, mocking God's word, seeking after their sexual lusts or their lusts, embracing false teachers, and bailing on the church. It's tempting when we read those things to say, man, that's our world today, right? But we need to take the mirror. In these last days, is this me? In what ways am I doing these things? In what ways do I need to repent? Do I need to seek forgiveness? Do I need to align my life with the Word of God? That's my challenge for you through this. We can can look at the signs for His return, but we're told to be ready and keep watch. And I think that's keeping watch on the way we're living in these end times, the way we're acting, right? Let us be people who realize I've got some room to grow, a lot of room to grow, and I'm thankful for God's grace. Let us similarly realize that there's some people around us that have some room to grow, and let's extend God's grace to them, right? Let's enjoy connection with God. Let's enjoy connection with other people in God's grace, under God's grace. Man, there's no one perfect in here, right? And often our attitudes are not of God. Let's be careful with those, right? Stand with me. Please, when you hear this message, don't hear it as a condemnation of the world in which we live, right? The world's going to act worldly. Please hear these scriptures as a challenge for each and every one of us to look in the mirror. Please examine your lives. Where are you not in alignment? Repent of it. Seek his forgiveness, right? Fall towards the cross and allow him to change you. Ask him to change you, right? Please hear this as a challenge to go against the grain, to fight the good fight, to finish the race, to run it well, right? It sure seems like we're living in the last days, but it's probably seen that for a long period of time. Are you watching? And are you ready? Are you ready to get off that plane? That was a few-hour trip and head into eternity? Are you ready? Right? I asked you that last week. Do you need to repent of anything? Do you need to confess something? Do you need to forgive? Do you need to start doing something and put something into alignment? Do you need to live and trust in God's word with something? right? And follow it? Or are you just going to be a scoffer? Maybe not verbally, but your life says you're a scoffer with it. What do you need to stop doing? 
I don't know. Lots of questions. I want us to be ready. And I want us to be examining our lives. Will you do that? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, I pray that you would convict us. I pray that you would rebuke us. I pray that you would discipline us, myself included. Father, I, I know I have not been doing the things I should. I know there are some areas that are out of whack, Lord. And I pray that you'd forgive me for them. I pray that you would create in me a clean heart. I pray that you would create in all of us a clean heart that loves you, that desires you. I pray that we'd be like that song. Lord, I pray that you would sanctify us. Lord, we know that it is through your righteousness that we can only find holiness. Father, help us to be people of grace. Lord, remove this critical spirit that plagues every church. Lord, help us to be for each other. Help us to lift each other up. Help us to want each other to succeed instead of fail. Lord, if there's somebody we need to ask forgiveness from in this church, Father, would you let us do that? Would you not let pride get in the way, Lord? Father, we want to be agents of your grace. We want people to find you. We want people to experience what we know in our relationship with you, Lord. Would you give us opportunities for that? Would you put people on our paths, Lord? Lord, we love you and we give you praise. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.